0: From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God said to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself say, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die." you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in All at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, and male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Thanks be to God.
1: I wonder if you uh, ever feel like your life is just one big struggle repeated over and over again with the same issues. Um, That's in some way what our story is about this morning. And as I was researching and studying for the sermon this week, I was reminded of a, a song by a band that Uh, I don't think is together any longer. They might be. They're called Cademan's Call. They're a Christian band that was really popular in the late 90s. Um, And um, they have a song called Thankful. And in that song, Derek Webb, who wrote the song, writes these words. I ran across an old box of letters while I was bagging up some clothes for goodwill. You know, I had to laugh that the same old struggles that plagued me then are plaguing me still. I know the road is long from the ground to glory, but a boy can hope he's getting someplace. But you see, I'm running from the very clothes I'm wearing, and dressed like this, I'm fit for the chase. Those words have resonated with me uh, for a long time since I heard, first, first heard that song, and I hope that those words and the idea behind them will resonate with most of us this morning who really have the same old struggles in our lives. What does this story in the life of Abraham have to say for those of us who, from time to time, find ourselves in those sorts of patterns. That's what we're going to see together this morning. Really, the entire story of Abraham so far has shown us that the main sort of dramatic narrative tension in Abraham and Sarah's life is this promise that God has made to them of a child. Throughout all of his life, God has held this promise before him and asked Abraham to trust. And for 25 years, they've been waiting. And in chapter 18, we saw that God assured them that it would happen in a year. And so they're on the cusp of the fulfillment of this promise. And yet, despite that, here in this story today, we see Abraham fall into the same old patterns of sin and rebellion that, as that song says, have plagued him, have plagued him for years. And in this low point of his life, really, Everything is on the line. The stakes are really high. Abraham's been running the race well, so to speak, with the finish line virtually in sight, but here he slips up. And as we see every week in this journey through Abraham's life, this story speaks deeply into each of our lives as well. No matter where you are right now, emotionally or spiritually, I hope that you can agree that at times all of us ask ourselves, why do I keep struggling with the same things again and again and again? You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to recognize those sorts of patterns in your life. But if you are a Christian, um, perhaps this is even a more pronounced issue for you. I can't tell you how often as a pastor I speak to people about their struggles with assurance in their Christian faith because of the same patterns of rebellion and sin and difficulty that they're facing. And they seem to wonder if God can really love them because they keep struggling with the same things over and over and over and over again. And if that's where you find yourself today or ever, then this story is speaking to you in a profound and I hope helpful way. So let me summarize it like this. Here's the main idea for us this morning. God is gracious to us when we have the same old struggles in life. God is gracious to us when we have the same old struggles in life. And we can break this part of Abraham's journey down into four sections, okay? So here's the outline. Abraham's deceit is the first point. Second, Abimelech's dream. Third, Abimelech's confrontation. And fourth, Abraham's intercession or prayer. So let's walk through this story and see what God has for us. First, Abraham's deceit. These first few verses of chapter 20 spell out how Abraham slips up. He decides to go south to this place called Gerar, probably because he's just seen Sodom wiped out by God's judgment and sort of, you know, he figures it's time to look for new real estate. I'm going to go south. And um, so he goes to a land where the king is a man named Abimelech, which means, by the way, son of the king. And Abraham repeats the same pattern here in Gerar that we saw back in Genesis 12 when he went to Egypt. That's really important. There in Egypt, Abraham has his wife Sarah pretend to be his sister so that he can protect his own skin. And we see the exact same thing happen here. He asks that Sarah would pretend to be his sister again. And what do you know? The same thing happens just like Pharaoh did in Genesis 12. Here, Abimelech takes Sarah into his kingly harem as a bride. And it's very clear that the reason Abraham repeatedly acts in this manner is because he is afraid. He's afraid. He doesn't believe God will take care of him. And so he attempts to take care of himself. Look at verse 13. We see here that this has been something that he had planned with Sarah before they ever left their home, Ur of the Chaldeans, 25 years ago. He says, we've said everywhere we go, we're going to pretend that we're brother and sister. By the way, imagine what that does to a marriage. Can't be very healthy, right? Uh, what a great deal. Thanks, Abraham. What a great way to love your wife well. But nevertheless, that's what they've done. And we see that even he's subtly blaming God there in verse 13. He says, God has caused me to wander from my father's house. Abraham is acting out of fear and not faith here, just like we saw him do in Genesis 12 while in Egypt. But here, the stakes are really high. Why? Why? because God has said in a year you're going to have a son Isaac will be born to you but now but now Sarah is in the family and household of another man and so the question is if Isaac is born who is the dad going to be is Abraham going to be a legitimate father or not is his parentage going to be guaranteed or is it now thrown into question so Abraham is treating his wife poorly here. He's throwing her under the bus. And as bad as that is, it might even be more significant for the point of the overall story that he's also potentially giving up his belief in God's promise, his belief in God's covenant plans for him. He's risking everything here with his foolishness and fearfulness. Now, there's a lot we can say here, okay? But I want to focus in on this idea. Abraham was a man who struggled with the same things throughout his life. You know, if you read through the Bible, no matter your spiritual past, if you read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, one of the most remarkable things that you will find is that the men and women we read about are by no means spiritual superheroes. You know, the Bible is not... Aesop's fables or like Marvel comics or something like that. It's not intended to give us moral exemplars that we are to follow. These people that we read about are frail and mistake prone, and very often they are extremely unimpressive. And the reason for that is because the Bible's purpose is not to show us Here's the people that you should try to imitate. No, the Bible's purpose is to show us all of our universal human need for God to rescue us from ourselves. And isn't it true that we're often like Abraham is here? I mean, if you can be honest with, your, with yourself, just ask yourself inside, not outside right now, well, what are your same old struggles? You know, can you see patterns in your life in which you struggle? with a particular issue, and it continually leads you into trouble, but you still keep falling into the temptations that it offers. What is it for you? Maybe for you it's anxiety and fear, like it was in many ways here with Abraham. You persistently struggle with fear of the future. You worry about money. You worry about your children. You worry about your parents. They're worth worrying about to some degree. You worry about the presidential election. You worry about all manner of things. And the worry never pays off. It just creates in you all sorts of hurtful rhythms. Trying to control what you can't control. But you still fall prey to it. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Maybe for you, it's lust and sexual temptation. You persistently struggle with that in your life. And over time, you've seen how it damages your relationships. It seems how... You've seen how it damages your view of the opposite sex in general, how it leads you to use others instead of serve others, how it creates significant shame in your life, but you still fall prey to it. What is it, what is it for you? I, there's any number of things that we could look at and see, see that we repeatedly deal with the same issues over and over, even when we know that it's not going to give what it promises to us. How does God respond to us when that is a common part of our stories? Well, let's see what the text says as we continue to go forward. We saw Abraham's deceit. He gives Sarah as pretending to be his sister to Abimelech. And then secondly, we see in verses 3 through 7, Abimelech's dream. So Sarah comes into the house of Abimelech. And then we read in verse 3 that God comes to Abimelech, this foreigner in a dream by night, and says, because, behold, you are a dead man, not something you want to hear from God, by the way. Not the kind of dream I want God to give me. You're a dead man. You're toast, Abimelech, because you've taken another man's wife. And Abimelech says to God, God, I didn't know she was married, verse 5. And then God says, basically, that Abimelech is right. He says that it was him, it was God, who has prevented this thing from getting further out of control, verse 6. And then at the end of the chapter, we find out that God has actually afflicted Abimelech with some sort of disease um, that affects his ability to have children. Now, who knows what that was exactly, but it was enough to keep him away from Sarah, if you know what I mean. So God is graciously at work here to protect Abraham and Sarah from the consequences of their own stupidity and sin. Did you hear that? God is at work here to protect Abraham and Sarah from the consequences of their own stupidity and sin. He's ensuring the legitimacy of Abraham as Isaac's father by making sure that Abimelech stays away from Sarah. That's really, really crucial. And in verse 7, God even calls Abraham a prophet. Imagine what Abimelech's thinking, some prophet. The prophet said his wife's his sister. What kind of prophet is that, God? And, and, And what that says, among other things, is this. Abraham's status in standing before God is not in any way dependent upon his righteousness. It's dependent, rather, solely upon God's grace to him. And you need to hear that because the same thing is true for us now. And this is how we can answer that question of when we have the same old struggles, the same temptations, the same weaknesses in our lives over and over again. One thing that can happen is that we begin to doubt God's love for us. We believe to doubt that God is for us. We see ourselves as failures, as a miserable wreck, and we begin to think things like, you know, there's no way I can be a part of God's family if I continually do these sorts of things, or think these sorts of things, or say these sorts of things, right? But but God does not treat Abraham here like he's outside of his family now. No, Abraham receives grace upon grace from God in the midst of his ongoing failures. Listen, God does not revoke his promises to Abraham. God doesn't give up on this short-sighted and fearful man. God doesn't come to Abraham and say, Abraham, you're in your 90s now. How long am I going to have to put up with this from you? Haven't you learned your lesson? How is this still a problem? You've been with me for decades. He doesn't do that. Now, sure, God will sometimes give us fatherly discipline as a consequence for our sins, but he doesn't leave us or forsake us because of our sins, because of our same old struggles. Abraham's standing before God is not altered because of his failure here. God still calls him a prophet, for crying out loud, right? The same thing is true for us. The person who is followed and trusted in Jesus by faith, the Christian's standing before God, is not altered by his or her failures either. Why not? Because if you're a Christian this morning, your standing before God is based completely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not on your unrighteousness. Because when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Jesus. Because God forgives all of our sins through the death of Jesus. Your standing is not altered because as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, when we trust in Jesus, in a sense it's no longer we who live, but Christ who loved us and gave himself for us now lives within us. That is the radical truth of the gospel. It so transforms our standing and identity that there's nothing we can do bad though it is, to alter it. Jesus' righteousness is more powerful as far as you're standing before God than your unrighteousness. That's what Abraham had to learn. That's what we have to learn when we're facing the same old struggles. So God comes to Abimelech in this dream, and then we see Abimelech in verse 8 go and confront Abraham. After God comes to him, we read verse 8, Abimelech immediately, right? He rose early in the morning. He called all his servants and told them what happened. And then he, and then he goes and confronts Abraham. And by the way, just as a real brief side note, notice that Abimelech comes out of this story looking way better than Abraham. Well, seriously, isn't that interesting? Um, as a side note, if you're not a Christian, Um, Or if you're just getting to know what Christianity really is, then listen to this. Christians are not necessarily nicer or better people than non-Christians. I want you to hear that. It's really important. Um, That's certainly vivid here, at least in this part of Abraham's life. Sure, Christians should experience transformation over time into kinder, gentler, better people. But sometimes they fall way short. You know, what are we to make of that? C.S. Lewis, the famous British author at the end of Mere Christianity, has a chapter called Nice Men Are Nice People or New Men, in which he answers this question. And I love how Lewis puts it. He's talking about why are some of my non Christian friends a lot nicer, <laughs> right? a lot kinder and more generous than my Christian friends? That doesn't make sense. And here's what Lewis says Listen to this. He writes, We must not be surprised if we find among the Christians, I love how he says that, of among the Christians, as if he's not one of us to, Um, some people who are still nasty. Do you not see why, if nasty people make an attempt at goodness at all, they learn in double quick time that they need help. It is Christ or nothing for them. They are the lost sheep. He came especially to find them. What Lewis is saying there is that the reason Christians can sometimes be nasty and mean is because the only entry requirement for christianity is that we see how nasty we really are and look to jesus for help that's in some ways shown here in abimelech being more morally upstanding than abraham but back back to abimelech side note ended okay um he comes to abraham and he asks this series of questions really he's kind of taking abraham back behind the woodshed and pounding on him i mean he's really working abraham over here what are you doing abraham right and and what's happening is he's exposing abraham's selfishness and fear and again the same old struggles are repeating themselves themselves here for abraham and if you notice there abraham's answers are really just kind of technicalities they're all half truths they're all very wimpy and weak the point is he still doesn't fully own up to his failures here he's being exposed He's being exposed for his fraudulence. He's being exposed for his hypocrisy. He's being exposed for his weak fearfulness. And guess what? In the act of Abraham being exposed, God is being gracious to him. God is being kind to his chosen vessel of blessing to the nations, Abraham, in exposing his shortcomings and weaknesses and failures. You know, have you ever felt the pain? Have you ever felt the pain of your weaknesses and sins and failures and wicked decisions or attitudes or words being exposed? You ever felt that? Man, that's a terrible feeling, isn't it? You feel ashamed. You feel like you've been discovered for what you're really like deep down, right? You feel embarrassed. You want to run and hide. There's a reason in Genesis 3, in the sin of our first parents, that when Adam and and Eve rebel against God, the emphasis in the story is on their shame and nakedness. They feel ashamed. They feel exposed. They feel raw before God. They feel found out. You ever felt like that? Listen, here's the facts. Some of you, some of you have never been exposed like that. You've worked so hard... And so successfully in creating multiple masks to cover who you really are, that you're fooling everybody. You're even fooling yourself, perhaps. Some of you have been running from having your true selves exposed for so long that you don't even know your true self. The great Puritan author John Flavel writes this, There are some men and women who have lived 40 or 50 years in the world and have had scarcely one hour's discourse with their hearts all the while. But we must see that exposure is a way that God is gracious to us. Just as he is with Abraham here in exposing him. That exposure opens us up for what we are really like for everyone to see. Or maybe not even everyone, for you to see. And in that opening up, it's a demonstration of God's love for you. Listen, God shows us in the process of painful exposure and confession and forgiveness that what St. Augustine said is true. Augustine said, he is more intimate to me than I am to myself. The uncovering of what we are really like is the pathway to greater understanding of the depth of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. You see, God knows our real selves better than we know our real selves, and loves us with an undying, unquenchable, unshakable love still. So, Even here in one of Abraham's lowest points, in one of his most embarrassing moments, in a moment where he's doing his best to, as it were, cover himself with fig leaves like Adam and Eve in the garden, In the moment of his exposure, of his rebellion, and of his foolishness, and of his fear, and of his unbelief, and of his idolatry, and of his adultery, and of his abandonment of his responsibilities, in that moment, God is actually being kind to him because he's saying, Abraham, this is who you are, and I am for you still. I love you still. I'm not leaving you. I'm actually at work through this, transforming you into the person that I've called you to be, that I made you to be my love for you is not shattered by your failures my love is much stronger than that abraham if you haven't experienced exposure like that then you can't really understand the depths of god's love for you in the gospel and we see god's grace in the resolution of the chapter two don't we really both men abraham and abimelech in different ways end up with god's blessing abraham gets sarah back and also, he gets Isaac in the next chapter as a legitimate child. And we also see that he gets this tremendous sum of money from Abimelech, like a thousand pieces of silver. That is an astronomical amount of money. And Abimelech is healed of his disease, we read there at the end of the story. And the wombs of the house of Abimelech are opened by God. So, so to wrap up the story, we see that in spite of and in the midst of Abraham's shortcomings... And sin in this chapter, the promise of God and the favor of God still go forward through him, right? And we see that Abraham prays for Abimelech. He begins to actually act like a prophet. He begins to act like a prophet priest. And God hears Abraham's prayer. And so we see again that in a sense, the promise of Genesis 12, 3, that all the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham's family. That's coming true here. Abimelech is blessed through Abraham. Listen, not only only does God not cast Abraham to the side when Abraham has the same old struggles, but God continues to work grace through Abraham for the nations. His grace is so profoundly big. It's so matchless. We can't begin to fathom it. I love how how James Montgomery Boyce, he was a former pastor at a church in Philadelphia, 10th Presbyterian, in his commentary, I love what he writes about these final few verses. And I just want to wrap up by reading it to you. Here's what Boyce says. He writes, I'm especially impressed in this story by the way God showed his grace to Abraham. God did so when he spoke to Abimelech, and moreover in all listen in all the references to Abraham that we have in the rest of the Bible never once does God bring up this incident as if to highlight Abraham's failure not in Romans not in Galatians not in Hebrews 11 In that last passage, Hebrews 11, Abraham is praised with a faith which he showed in four situations. In leaving Ur for an unknown promised land, in staying in the land in spite of great danger, believing that God should give him a son when he and Sarah were past the age of childbearing, being willing to offer up Isaac, counting that God would raise him from the dead. Not once. In all that great survey of Abraham's progress in the life of faith, does God refer to his past sin as if to shame him by the remembrance of it? It was forgiven and gone. It was forgotten. It is good to serve a God like that. A God who remains sovereign even when we doubt his ability to care for us. A God who remains gracious even when we sin with the same sorts of things repeatedly over and over and over. To serve a God who is like that is the world's greatest joy and opportunity. To know that God is like that is the greatest incentive that any of us will ever actually have to stop sinning and pursue him in righteousness and faithfulness. Are you tired of the same old struggles? If you are, then the main thing you need to hear is that God is not tired of you. He is for you. His grace is with you. And when you can begin to wrap your heart and your head around that in faith, then the struggles begin to fall away over time. It happened with Abraham. The same Holy Spirit that was at work in Abraham is at work in you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is like that? That is who he is. Trust him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're good and kind to us. How amazing is it, God, that as we get to know ourselves more and more deeply, we see our failures and our shortcomings. We see how frail we are. We see how easily we fall into temptation. We see how quickly we are to judge and condemn others for the things that we ourselves don't do well. And yet, God, in the midst of all that, as we reflect on Abraham's life and on our lives, we see here also that you do not just cast us aside. You don't get tired of us. You don't get weary with us. You don't give up on us. And the reason is because you didn't save us in the first place because we were worthy or deserving. God, you saved us because you were kind and merciful and your grace is superabounding to us through Jesus. And that will not change. So God, help us to believe that. Help us to believe that when the same old struggles afflict us. Help us to believe that when we're tired. Help us to believe that when we lack assurance. We need your help for that, God. So will you do it for us even today, this morning? We pray it in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.